0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name's Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today is the second part of my conversation with Heather Lynch, who's a licensed professional counselor, as well as the adult clinical manager at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in North Brunswick, New Jersey. And today, Heather and I discuss tips for self-care for people in the helping professions. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. I guess I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about self-care for helping professionals and why that might be important.
1: Something I heard early on, which I'm sure you've heard, is you know you got to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help anyone else. Yep. And I remember when I first heard it, I thought it was silly and ridiculous, but then I ended up using it in therapy all of the course. time. And I talk about it with yep. supervisees, you know, because it's true. And I, I think that we give a lot of ourselves when we're in a helping profession, right? And... Mm-hmm. I think that becomes very depleting, and it can result in not to sound dramatic, but in our own demise in many ways. So I think we have to set really healthy boundaries with ourselves and even with the people around us so that we're able to maintain ourselves in in whatever it is that we're doing, because you mm-hmm. think about you know, if you're in a helping profession you're you're helping people you're doing you're giving of yourself and then you go home and you're doing the same thing, right? Whether you're doing that with a spouse or kids or animals or whatever the case is, your parents, like, you Mm -hmm. know, we're we're always giving of ourselves. And I think even more so when we're in a helping profession.
0: Absolutely. So if we're thinking of this in terms of steps to make sure that your self-care is on point, what would the first step be in this process?
1: I think the first step is really being in tune With yourself. And that sounds kind of weird. But the idea is you have to be very conscious of your own energy levels, your own level of feeling depleted, Mm -hmm. and being able to move with that. So if I am not very in tune with my own level of burnout, for example, and knowing what some of those warning signs are, then I am not going to know that I need to kind of jack up my self care, so to speak, and do a little bit more to nourish myself or take time for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that that level of burnout looks different for people and that, you know, for some people, like I'll speak for myself. I know that, you know, if I wake up and my jaw hurts, I've been grinding my teeth at night and I need to pay attention to something that's going on Mm -hmm. because that usually indicates Mm -hmm. like, you know, something's happening that I need to pay attention to.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And it looks... You know, it looks different for people. People get headaches and obviously can get physical symptoms, but it might be, you know, I'm lashing more out at my my friends or I'm getting agitated more easily. I'm not feeling as compassionate as I typically am, right? The idea of compassion Mm -hmm. fatigue. So some of those things come to mind um, when we're talking about that.
0: Yeah. You know, this reminds me of something that I always say to clients, which is that 90% of the time the first step to managing any kind of mental health issue is just recognizing the warning signs, basically, or, you know, recognizing what's happening. So, you know, especially at the level of care that we operate in, which is a higher level of care than traditional outpatient, I think a large part of the work that we do is just helping clients to recognize when they need to start implementing some changes. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, largely, this sounds like exactly the same idea, which is just being aware of your warning signs, A, knowing what your warning signs are, and then B, being able to recognize when they're happening instead of just kind of being in autopilot mode.
1: Absolutely. And I also think that people in our lives can be helpful in that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think people Mm -hmm. around us sometimes can see it before we do. And that's happened to me countless times, whether it's been coworkers or my husband or other people that are close to me that are like, Heather, you seem a little bit off. What's going mm-hmm. on? Or, you know, my husband will be a little bit more transparent, of course, and say like, eh, you're a little agitated. What's happening? You know, or you know, in, you're in, not being so ex- kind.
0: In those exact words, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think having people around us who we can trust and hear it from, because I think the other challenge in that is we don't always want to hear that when it's happening. I know I don't always mm-hmm. want to hear it. Because then, you know, we feel like maybe we're not able to manage as well as we would like. So I think that's sometimes the other piece too, is we can also have other people in our life that are kind of cueing us in when they see that we're not, maybe having a harder time or, or burning out.
0: Absolutely. And again, similarly to um, therapy, especially in the level of care that we work at, you know, a large part of what we do is try to get supportive family members or friends on board to be that person for the patient.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, because, yeah, I, I mean, it just is. It's hard to recognize sometimes what, what's going on with you or that maybe you are feeling a little more agitated or you're not quite being yourself. Um it can be really helpful to have someone be able to point that out to you. Um, Whether or not you're, you're willing to hear that is a different story. Yes, Uh, exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, uh,
0: I think the, uh, the feedback is definitely valuable.
1: I agree. And I think for people in helping professions, it can sometimes be super hard to get to the place or admit that you yourself need support or help Mm -hmm. or even, you know, therapy, things like that. And, I think that's the other challenging piece of it is, you know, being okay enough with our, within ourselves and within, you know, what it is that we're doing to be able to reach out for support and say, Hey, like, you know, this is what I need, or, you know, I'm really having a tough time. I need, you know, X, Y, and Z. That can be very hard for people in Mm -hmm. helping professions. I mean, it can be difficult for anybody really. Um, but being able to acknowledge that and seek support when we need it from people is is extremely important.
0: Well, I think there's two things going on there, right? It's like, um, number one, you have to be assertive enough to actually say to someone like, hey, this is what I need right now, or um, be assertive enough to put how you're feeling out there. But then the second piece to that is like, being okay with saying I'm not feeling great right now, which I think yes. in helping professions is a whole battle unto itself because so often you know you're managing crises or you know I can only imagine like being a nurse or a doctor. Sometimes you might be dealing with life, um, life or death issues. I mean, mm-hmm, at times mm-hmm. we're we're dealing with life or death issues, but in a mental health context or a, or a substance right. context. Um, so you really do develop sort of this. mentality that, you know, you have to be a soldier, you got to be okay, and you just got to keep trucking.
1: Absolutely. And that I think gets people in a lot of trouble. um, Because, you know, that can be the expectation within the community of healthcare, wherever you might be working or in helping professions and professionals in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it can get people, like I said, in a lot of trouble, because then they avoid dealing with whatever's going on. And, can end up in you know a rather precarious situation as a result
0: yeah i want to jump back a second just because you mentioned the term compassion fatigue and can mm. you explain what that is just in case some people don't know
1: sure it's really the idea that you know we are engaged as helping professionals and being compassionate and empathetic mm. and that comes with a level of fatigue when we when we do it over and over. And it can definitely lead to burnout. And sometimes people aren't in tune with that piece of things, but it's definitely a huge part of the helping profession. And there's obviously a lot of studies and data to support that, especially through COVID, I think.
0: Yeah. I think um, most people in the helping profession have probably heard the word burnout before, but Mm -hmm. what's the difference between compassion fatigue and burnout? Or is it sort of two sides of the same coin?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think they're very similar. And I think maybe those terms are used interchangeably. When I think of compassion fatigue, I think more about the idea of, you know, at a certain time, I might feel very connected and compassionate when someone's sharing. For example, you know, they're struggling with depression and Mm -hmm. really being able to be in that and and connect with that and and helping them and feeling compassionate towards them. And then, you know, when there's compassion fatigue, that is much less and finding that there's a disconnect that maybe I'm experiencing in those moments in therapy where I'm not feeling as connected to that experience, which you think about can can also feel like burnout. So I think they're very similar. So I just wanna jump back to something we were talking about before with about having your own, you know, support and people in your life that can kind of, I guess, call you out on on what's going on if you're not doing as well. And I think part of that for some people is having their own therapist, someone that they're mm-hmm. going to um, to talk, or other people in their life that they feel that they can really connect with and be able to hear when they're telling them things that maybe they don't necessarily like. Um, but, you know, having people in, in your world that really can support you in that way and that you can connect with. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, for people in the helping professions, even going to their own therapy can come with its own stigma and its own feels. And I think that can really limit people from accessing the support that they could benefit from. Absolutely. We don't talk about that enough, but I think that's a huge, huge thing.
0: Yeah, so having your own therapy, your own identified support people, I, this really sounds to me like it's sort of one piece of the self-care puzzle, which I, how else can people make sure that they're maintaining their self-care? Right? And again, I, I mean, I guess this kind of goes back to like that that therapy lens that I, would, I, I oftentimes talk about with clients, which is like you have to, first step is recognize what's happening, right? And then the second step, is usually like a behavioral intervention, which is mm-hmm. just a fancy way of saying you got to do something about it. Um, right. So what are some other things that people can do to make sure that their self-care is okay besides having support people?
1: I think it obviously looks different for everybody, but some of the things that come to mind are exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that that is very helpful Especially, you know, when you look at people who experience depression, there's been a lot of studies about medication versus um, exercise and which Mm -hmm. is more effective. And sometimes the exercise is just as effective as medication, which is interesting. So, you know, doing things like that and, you know, I think something that is is helpful, too, is you know, engaging in things like, you know, as adults, we don't talk a lot about playing, but just being able to be relaxed and if you have kids actually playing with them and engaging with them, I mean, that's a great way of self-care where you're really just kind of present in whatever it is that they're doing. Um, And I think same holds true if you're, you know, hanging out with your friends and you're doing something, you know, just being present in those moments Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, for some people they love to read getting absorbed in a book or watch a movie or things like that. I think it, again, it varies a lot for people, but having an idea for yourself about what that looks like, because obviously what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for someone else, but having a sense of that and trying a lot of different things um, to find what it is that you think helps you take good care of yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. So really being willing to try a number of different things to see what works and then, making a practice of trying to be present while you're doing whatever that is.
1: Absolutely. And kind of having an arsenal of things, you know, I think at different times, different things will help us, you know, it's, Mm. you know, sometimes it might be that I can, um, go for a run and that helps. And other times maybe it's just more, I just need to be and, um, sit and read or something like that.
0: Right. Okay. Any other tips for self-care for helping professionals?
1: Uh, I wanted to loop back to something we talked about before which is this idea of being fully engaged versus being fully disengaged. Mm-hmm. I think that you know I I actually heard this many years ago I was at a conference and there was a sports psychologist speaking and he was talking about how he used this with you know whatever team he was working with mm-hmm. and Talking with them about being fully present in the game and fully engaged in the game. And then when you're not doing that, you're fully disengaged. And I remember going back to work and using that when I would take a break from groups. So at that time, when I was facilitating groups, we would do process group for an hour, take a break, and then come back for another hour. Yeah. And in those 10 minutes between group, I forced myself to not think about groups. So I tried mm-hmm. to fully disengage. And usually I had a snack. You know, I had some water, just kind of chilled for a few minutes mm-hmm. and really tried to integrate that into what I was doing. And I think that is a very important piece of all of this. You know, when I'm in something, I'm fully engaged in it, like talking with you right now, right? Like being fully present. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm getting tons of emails or other things are happening, yeah, you know, yeah. and just being able to be focused on what, I, what I'm doing now and have my attention there. And then also being disengaged and when I'm, you know, maybe, you know, in a little bit when I'm having lunch, just like going outside and just disengaging and not being in front of a screen and not, you know, thinking about like, oh, what do I have next? You know, being able to be present in that because I think what happens is when we're not doing that, everything bleeds into everything else. Mm -hmm. And then we have a really hard time figuring out like what, where do things end and where do other things begin? And then we're not able to manage as effectively as I think we would like, cause we don't have the energy because things are just kind of spread out all over the place.
0: Right. And um, I guess this idea of being fully engaged at work, it's not like you're saying, let's say you work an eight hour shift or whatever you go in and you're fully engaged for all eight hours. It sounds right. like what you're really saying is like pick and choose your times at work when you're fully engaged. And then when you're fully disengaged or trying to fully disengage for a little while. Yes. Um, cause again, like, if you're on for two or three hours of group, you want to be fully engaged in that experience, but you got to take advantage of those 10 to 15 minute breaks and really try to disengage from it so that, you know, to recharge your batteries a little bit. Yes. And, you know, again, I'm sure that this applies for other professions as well, even though, you know, we're just coming at it from this therapy context. Um, But you need those, times your brain needs those times to disengage from you know being very present and active in whatever you're doing
1: yes and and to be able to feel replenished and sometimes it's even about having a period between tasks like i was just thinking about how you know during the time that we've worked at home, mm-hmm. we have three dogs and they now know the sound of when I turn the light off at my desk because that means my work day is done uh, and it's uh, time for them to eat. Funny. And then all havoc wreaks reeks loose, you know, and they're barking and all things are happening. So something that I started to do to give myself time between, you know, ending work and, you know, moving into the evening and whatever ha- needs to happen is I actually won't turn off my light and I'll just sit at my desk and, you know, do something, <laughs> be on my phone, whatever it is to give myself a minute. Because even if I get up, you know, they're like, oh my God, it's time, it's time. Like yeah, I have yeah. to go outside, you know? So I think also being mindful of those kind of, transition periods, if you want to call it, mm. where we're moving from one thing to the next, where we're sometimes preparing ourselves, but also preparing the people around us. You know, some people, for example, like when they come home from work, they're, they they have a, a change in their clothes. You know, they'll mm-hmm. go, they'll get mm-hmm. changed. And that kind of signals to themselves, okay, moving into this next kind yeah. of thing yeah, in yeah, my yeah. day. Um, and that's another thing that I think can help people feel engaged in what they're doing and obviously also disengaged, um, in those moments. Mm-hmm.
0: No, no, it's a great point. It's a great tip. And I think that's really funny about your dogs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pavlov's dog, right? Exactly. It's exactly. exactly. The same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's
1: kind of
0: amazing. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. And would you be open to coming on and doing it again?
1: Absolutely. You know, I love hanging with you, Andy You're the best. All right, cool. So are you.